You're listening to the What Business Should I Start podcast. What Business Should I Start podcast. Your weekly source of entrepreneurial inspiration, motivation, and step-by-step guide to starting your business. Diving deep, deep into creative business ideas and interviewing the founders of existing business to provide you with the tools and motivation you need to launch your business. Hosted by Avi Shinkar, your resident entrepreneur who brings over 20 years of startup, business development, and hustle experience. Listen up, because the next episode could be the business you launch. Hey everyone, welcome to the What Business Should I Start podcast, or WSIS for short. My name is Avi Shankar, and I'm what some of you would call a serial entrepreneur. However, usually when you're talking about a serial entrepreneur, we're typically referring to people who are super successful and have had some serious exits. I'm not that serious. I've had some success in my 27 years of being self-employed, and I've had some failures. I made my first million at 25, and I probably lost more than that in the process. I'm pretty sure I lost about 50K last month just investing in an idea I had. Let me take a couple of minutes to tell you about myself so that you understand who I am, why I decided to launch this podcast, and why I think you would enjoy this podcast. To begin, I've never had a job. Well, that is after my first job at 11 years old. I had a paper route and I worked at a gift basket store. But at the age of 13, I started my very first business. It was also my first failure, kind of. You'll see when I tell you more about it. While everybody was busy selling gum and lollipops in middle school, I started selling condoms. Yeah, condoms. You heard that right. Those old school gold coin types of condoms. Why condoms? Well, pretty easy. I mean, I realized all we did at that age was talk about sex, think about sex, and pretend we were having sex. That last part, that was the key to the business. I would get up in the middle of the lunchroom, and guys would come over and loudly ask for two, three condoms at a time. And everybody heard. You know, Everybody was pretending that they were about to get laid. And that made my business boom. That is until I got snitched on. The principal brought my mother in and told her I was caught you know, selling condoms in school. Her first reaction was, oh, great. You know, he's keeping everybody safe. That wasn't really what you know, the principal was trying to get across. Um, then when he suspended me for three days, she didn't understand that punishment. Um, you know, I just got caught for doing something supposedly bad and now they're sending me home for three days to just hang out. But you have to understand this was 1993. We only came to America four years before that. So our English wasn't amazing. Um, and we didn't really get the culture yet. Um, especially schooling. My mother was a teacher, so she didn't understand a whole suspension thing. Uh, My parents packed up their entire life and three kids, brought us here from Israel in 1989 with the hope of giving us, you know, all the opportunity that America offers. I am forever thankful for their sacrifice. It really has, you know, given us the opportunity to achieve such amazing things that we might have not been able to achieve, you know, in Israel, although Israel is amazing. My next venture after the whole condom fiasco was a computer company. I wanted to build computers. And I wanted to compete with Dell and compete isn't, you know, quotation marks, really. Um, The name of the company was called AMA Computers. That was for Avi, Marat and Arthur. Those were my two friends at the time. And unfortunately, that did not work out. Dell really uh, kicked our asses. Around the age of 16, my father opened up a jewelry store in what could best be described as a covered flea market. Uh, My sister and I ran and worked in that store. 
we hustled, we learned to sell, we read a ton of books during our off hours, which we had plenty of. Um, that place was dead most of the time. When it wasn't dead, we were selling gold chains by the inch. During that same time, I started an eBay business selling brand name clothing and accessories. I had an entire assembly line at home helping me package and label and ship items, which at that time, I mean, brought in 130 grand a year. I was only 17. My mother was helping me. My sisters were helping me. It was a fun business. Business did die when my connects for all those brand name goods dried up. Uh, and the next venture was called Millenitech Industries, and it was a web design and development agency. I was still young. Internet was starting to take off. Um, it was something that I was really into, and I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, I was going to college at Drexel at the time, majoring in management information systems, and business was good. At Drexel, you do what's called a co-op, where you study for six months and you work at a company in your field for six months. During my second week of my first co-op with Wyeth Pharmaceuticals, if you're familiar with them, they make Advil, um, the guy sitting in a cubicle next to me, which had to have been you know, maybe five, six years older than me, um, told me that if I you know, really work hard, if I follow instructions, if I you know, put in a lot of effort into the company, then five, six years from then, you know, when I was his age, I could earn you know, $50,000 a year, maybe more. Um, yeah, I quit that day. That was not what I was interested in doing. Um, and at the time I was making, you know, almost three times that. So it was, it wasn't for me. Some of the other ventures that followed, you know, I kind of just want to go through them quickly. I mean, I've always had something going on. Um, I had, the next thing I had was a string of cell phone stores and also I manufactured and wholesaled cell phone accessories. I mean, we actually, my parents' basement was packed with accessories that were manufactured in China, brought over with our own custom packaging, labeling. It was actually a pretty cool business. We wholesaled or wholesaled, wholesaled cell phone accessories to cell phone stores all around areas, obviously, as well as our own. And it was pretty cool because we brought in, I mean, the name of the, the cell phone company was Mobile Star Communications. That was also the name of the store. So a ton of stores around the area were carrying cell phone accessories with our name on it while we had the stores selling the cell phones as well. So we got a lot of exposure that way. I actually ended up selling the whole cell phone business with my partner and I, and both of us moved down to Miami. Uh, my partner just, you know, for reference, was my best friend. Um, we moved down to Miami with the money that we made selling the cell phone store, and we went into the mortgage and real estate industry in 2003. Now, 2003 was when it was really starting to get going. I mean, things were amazing down there. We were 23 years old. We made our first million at 25. We were living the dream in Miami. Our company was called GMA Mortgage, which we named it to sound like GMAC Mortgage, um, which was huge at the time. One day, we heard one of our sales guys on the phone talking to a client and telling them that GMA stands for the founder's names, Gary, Murat, and Avi. When I heard that, I was blown away. I mean, this it was perfect. Never even never crossed my mind that that is possible. Um, just because, well, let me, I guess, back up a little bit. We had a kid that worked for us in the cell phone store. His name was Gary. We flew him down to Miami just to kind of come help us out a little bit when we we're, you know, getting comfortable and he never left. We made him work his ass off and we gave him a piece in the company and that's where, you know, the G came in. Um, so it's actually pretty funny that this, you know, salesperson came up with Gary Murat and Avi that 
When the crash of 2008 happened, our business went to shit and our real estate holdings tanked. I mean, we were struggling. Luckily, we pivoted the company to a loan modification service where instead of selling people the mortgage that got them in trouble in the first place, we were now saving their houses from foreclosure. I got us a ton of press and coverage as I always did for every company I ran and we did really well. I mean, we actually survived that whole crash situation. Um, after six years in Miami, though, I was sick of it. I missed my family. I was bored. Uh, my partners were married, and I was lonely. I was, you know, spending Sundays at the beach by myself. Yeah, you know, I'm sure, you know, you can imagine that it was a pretty good time being young, um, well off, and single in Miami. But everything gets boring. I ended up selling the shares of my company to my partners, and I moved back to Philly. I know it's it was. A weird decision. Nobody understood why I did it. And I'm actually very lucky or very happy that I did do that because I got back to Philly just at the right time. I mean, personally, not financially or business-wise, but personally, it was a good time for me. Um, Just to share something personal about uh, three years later, my mother passed away. So I was very happy to have had that time with her and, and I've been close to them. When I first moved back, I jumped into business with my brother-in-law. That was a horrible idea. We bought an eco-friendly cleaning franchise. Um, I only did it because I thought it was something cool. I thought it was something fun to do with my brother-in-law. And it gave me something to do the minute I landed back in Philadelphia. But it was a fucking flop. I learned a couple of things. First, don't work with family. And second, don't buy a franchise from your shady-ass friend. I mean, the guy that sold us this franchise was shady you know, as hell. The franchise fell apart, so did my relationship with my brother-in-law at the time. Uh, thankfully, we reconnected. We're all we're, we're fine now. After I took some time off to look around, see what's going on, it was right around a time when Groupon was taking off. If you remember Groupon, it was a daily deal website. I hopped on the daily deal bandwagon, and I launched a service called WeFeast. When I was researching Groupon, I noticed that the deals for restaurants and dining entertainment in general were the most successful. They generated the most sales, they had the highest numbers, so I created a daily deal site specifically for dining and entertainment. Um, I thought it was a really good idea at the time. I worked on it for about a year. I didn't really get a chance to you know, have too much traction with it because I got an offer to sell the technology. And at the time, Living Social came out and a million other daily deal sites, so I said, you know what, let me get my money back plus some and move on to the next thing. Um, I do still own the wefeast.com name, but I sold the technology for another daily deal site that launched and it's actually been pretty successful. I don't want to mention the name though. Um, next thing between 2010, 2011, I spent most of my time helping my mother grow the technical side of her medical billing and management business. Um, I came in, you know, being this whole tech savvy kid, I introduced all their doctors to electronic health record systems. Um, And at the time, there was a big movement by the government for doctors to implement electronic health record systems. And they paid them $79,000 if they implemented it correctly and went through all the, you know, hoops and tests. And I did that for a bunch of them, making them money that they didn't even realize they could earn. That was fun. I actually, you know, helped my mother's business out quite a bit. But I also, again, didn't want to work with family too much. I didn't want any issues between, you know, my mother and my sister who also worked for the company and myself. So I stepped away a little bit. Um, I decided to open up a hand car wash because when I lived in Miami, there was a tiny little hand car wash on the side of a gas station. 
And on any given day, I mean, especially Saturday, Sunday, you would drive by, you would see Ferraris, Lamborghinis, Bentleys, Rolls Royces, all getting their car wash at this tiny little car wash where the car, I mean, it cost 20 bucks, um, but it was an amazing concept. I mean, they would get a great wash. It was cheap. It was quick. Um, so I decided to set something up in Philly just like that to kind of give people a taste of it because all Philadelphia had were the machine car washes, um, where you would, you know, drive your machine, your car through and the machines would wash it. And then some guys would dry it with towels. I set something up like that and it went really well. I mean, we really got off the ground pretty well, but then neighborhood associations started complaining because, you know, traffic and cars would be lined up there. And, you know, it was just all sorts of bullshit. Really. They had the city come out and, really make it tough for me. I mean, the city started to require us to build special drainage systems, which would have cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars, even though we're using non-toxic soap, which was a loophole. So unfortunately, I had to shut down the car wash, which is a shame because I really did enjoy that. Uh, next thing, at the end of 2011, I was approached to open up a hair salon. I didn't know the first thing about running a hair salon, but I was intrigued. I asked a friend of mine in Miami about the idea, and she told me I should consider the new blow-dry bar trend. This thing was taking off in Miami. I started looking into it. It was a big thing in L.A., Miami. I think New York was starting to get them. And after just you know looking at it a little bit and doing a little bit of research, I was hooked. I mean, it was new. It was trendy. It was relatively simple, and it did not exist in Philadelphia yet, which was the big thing. I love being first to market with any idea. And I guess also around the same time I was single, this is a business for women, surrounded by women. I mean, at, at the highest point, I had about 80 women working you know, with me, and that was crazy. None of that you know, did anything for my single life because I met my wife one month into opening up the business. She didn't work for me. We were set up by a friend, so that the business really did nothing for me there. But I took that idea. I went back to the guy that approached me about the hair salon in the first place. And he didn't want anything to do with it. He said, it won't make any money. It's stupid, blah, blah, blah. So I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do it myself. One afternoon, I was driving a good friend of mine to the airport. He asked me for a ride. So I was giving him one. We were talking in a car and I told him about the concept. I told him about the idea. And immediately he was like, dude, he's like, I'd like to invest. And you got to understand, I mean, this was big. Why? Because my buddy is one of the most financially conservative people I know. I mean, this kid researches the shit out of anything that he's about to spend money on. And he's just a very conservative investor. So when he offered me money off the bat without having anything in place, I said, okay, this is something that I have to do. I mean, if he believes in it that much, then there's some legs here. So right away, I was like, done. You know what? I'll take your money and I'll start it. So I took an investment. I started building both physically and technologically in December of 2011. And we opened up for business in March of 2012. It was a hit from the beginning. I mean, we went from one small suburban location to five locations and testing out a partnership with LA Fitness to place a mini blow-dry bar in every gym across the country. I mean, all of that happened in the first two to three years. But we grew so fast that at one point I said, you know what? Let me consolidate a little bit. I mean, we had locations that were making three, four times the amount that other locations were. So I decided, you know what, let me close down the smaller locations that are not you know, that strong revenue-wise and concentrate on the bigger locations that were placed 
correctly. As much fun as the business was, it really was hard. I mean, it's not easy to manage that many people in that industry, especially, you know, with all the drama involved, the clients, the staff, the, the, the maintenance of equipment supplies. It was a nightmare. I finally sold the company in August of 2018 and I did pretty well with it. You know, for the first time in years, I didn't have so many people depending on me for payroll every two weeks. I felt really free. I mean, I just remember, and it still happens to me today. I walk out of the shower and I look at the phone and I, I, when I had the company, I would constantly just prepare myself for what's wrong, what's you know broken, what's not working. And these days my phone doesn't have notifications on it like that. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. I would say at about the same time that I was selling the blow dry bar company, I realized that I am way less of an entrepreneur than I am a marketer. I mean, the marketing part is what makes me want to launch businesses. It's, you know, me imagining how I'm going to sell this product or this service, how I'm going to scale it, you know, what are the channels I'm going to use. That's, that's what makes me want to actually do that. And it's funny because it happens to me pretty regularly, but over the past, I don't know, I'd say maybe two years or so, it's happening less. When I was young, I heard a quote that makes a lot of sense to me now, um, it said, when you're young, you have ideas and no money. When you're old, you have money and no ideas. And that's really something that, you know, I guess that's the core reason I am launching this podcast. I need to fuel my creativity. I need to force myself to come up with these ideas regularly to think out the plan of how I'm going to execute on that marketing, um, sourcing, hiring, you know, all of the stuff that comes along with launching a business. That's what this podcast is going to allow me to do. With that said, let's talk about today's episode. This episode is about launching an electric scooter e-commerce operation from scratch. I'm going to go step by step how I would do it. And in this case, I'm actually going to do it. I was in Israel a couple months ago and I was in Tel Aviv. I went downstairs in the morning to grab a cup of coffee and I'm sitting at the cafe drinking. I'm looking around And what struck me was there are hundreds of people going back and forth in these electric scooters. People are traveling to work. They have full suits on and they're wearing a helmet and they're taking a scooter to work. I rented out one of these scooters. The whole business model of it is amazing. So you download an app, you can pick up a scooter anywhere on the street. There aren't any loading or or, uh, charging docks or anything like that. They're just sitting anywhere. You grab one, you scan the, the QR code, and you're off. You're paying, I think it's like you know, 20 cents a mile. Um, I think they actually just raised it to 25 cents a mile. Then you drop it off wherever you want and move on. The business model, again, is, is amazing. I've done some research into Bird and Lime. Those are two leading companies in the rental e-scooter business. But I just thought, this is amazing. First of all, you don't have to worry about traffic. You don't have to worry about parking. The costs are more affordable than public transportation, more affordable than Ubering, more affordable than having a car. So when I got back to the US, I started looking into that industry. The first thing that I pictured was making a cool video with a young guy in a pair of khakis, a tucked in shirt, a tie, riding one of these down in the city on his way to work. And that was the first part of this business that I want to launch. Now I'm working on launching a e-scooter e-commerce operation. I'm not going to be doing the whole rental business model. I want to sell them direct to consumer. And this is how I'm going to do it. 
first step that I take when launching any business or coming up with any idea is thinking about the name. What do I want to call it? I need something that's catchy, something that's easy, something that is recognizable for whatever industry I'm heading into. In this case, I wanted to do something fun. So years ago, I bought a domain name called Meals on Wheels. Why? Well, my oldest daughter's nickname is Meals. Her full name is Amelia, but we call her Meals. And when we had her, um, my wife was making food for her. She was making all sorts of blended food for her. And I had the idea of creating a delivery service for baby food. We actually started working on it, came up with a couple of recipes. My assistant bought a bunch of uh, Nutribullet blenders and started making and testing some of these things. But the idea fizzled out as I got busy with other things. But I thought about this domain name, Meals on Wheels, actually is reminiscent of the scooter or the transportation or skateboard or rollerblades. However, I can't use Meals on Wheels for this case because it's already used by the foundation, the charitable organization Meals on Wheels, which delivers food to those in need. So I thought, okay, what if I just shorten it and I use the name Meals? It rhymes with wheels. It's a short word. It's cool. It's unique. It doesn't have any connotation. There isn't a brand associated with it yet. I looked at the domain and I noticed that it wasn't occupied by a website and it was for sale. I reached out to the owner and made him an offer. I offered $200. He came back with an offer of $500. I came back with a counteroffer of $250. He responded, no, thank you. I'm not going to be doing this lowballing stuff. Take care. So right away, I kind of got nervous, like, oh, you know, maybe I should have just paid the $500. And I wrote him a message. I said, look, I'm willing to go up to $350 for it because it's my daughter's nickname and I'd like to buy it because maybe one day she'll do something with it. Right away, he responded with a counteroffer for $350, which I accepted, and I bought the domain. So I thought the name, Meals, M-E-E-L-Z, very easy, very cool, easy to remember, and it looked good on a scooter itself. Typically, when I think about starting a business, I'll check for businesses in that industry that are already for sale. So my first step is checking flippa.com, where I check for businesses in that industry that are already for sale. Maybe they're established, maybe just you know the, the structure, the foundation is there. Um, I also check biz buy sell to see if somebody is selling that sort of thing. It's worked out for me a couple of times where I did buy a business that was already in that industry, and I'll talk about that in future episodes. But in this case, there wasn't anything available, and I like the personal connection of my daughter's nickname being the name of the company. Once the name was all done and I had the domain, I went on to my second step, which is sourcing. So if I'm considering selling something, I need to figure out how to manufacture it or private label it or resell somebody else's product, which I don't typically do. Um, I always either manufacture from scratch or private label existing products. My first place to go is Alibaba.com. I went on to Alibaba. I found some manufacturers. Now, the typical electric scooter manufacturer was creating a Xiaomi copy, um, almost a counterfeit Xiaomi. Xiaomi is one of the largest brands manufacturing the electric scooters. That was the typical product that I saw offered on Alibaba. However, I did find another manufacturer that offered a product that was different than the Xiaomi models and looked to be of better quality. 
I went ahead and I ordered three prototypes, one from each company that I thought fit the bill. Now, what are my qualifications for fitting the bill? First thing, I don't do business with trade brokers. In China, Alibaba, full of trade brokers. It's really just a call center. And I've been to one of these uh, in Shenzhen where there's about 20 people in an office on computers and on phones telling you that they are the ones manufacturing this product and selling it to you. Um, I hate doing business with them because they are not the source. They cannot give you the best price, obviously, because there is a markup. And they cannot make the adjustments that a manufacturer would be able to make for you when you need some customization, when you need some details changed or just better terms in general. So I check to make sure that they are a manufacturer that is a filtering option on Alibaba. I also check with, I have a friend in China that I've done business with for quite a while, actually, with a bunch of different companies. And I asked him to take a look at this company, see where they're located. Is it a trading center? Is it an office? Or is it actually a factory? Got back to me a couple of days later, said, you know, these guys are all factories. They're good to go. So I placed an order with each one of them for a demo unit. Now, the demo unit cost me about $200 for the product and another $150 for shipping because it is a large, heavy item, and shipping it from China to the U.S. is expensive. About, I would say, two weeks later, I got those demos, and I started playing with them. I started abusing them. I started taking them out for rides. I wanted to see how long the battery lasts, how fast they go, how sturdy, how comfortable, how smooth they are, and finally picked the one that I liked best. Now, in the meantime, I was also putting up pictures on Instagram, on my own personal Instagram, just saying, you know, testing out prototype one. Does anybody like this? Would anybody ride it? Does anybody want one? Is this something that you would buy? Just to see what my friends and followers on Instagram, which I don't have many of, um, tell me about this. Right away, I actually got a response from one friend of mine that said, hey, what is this? Is this a new business that you're launching? And I responded, I said, yeah, it's something that I'm thinking about doing. Now, why? He said, well, you know, I love these things. We wrote them in San Francisco. I'd love to get into it if you're open to the idea. I said, hey, you know what? It's still early. I wouldn't mind. A partner would be fun. The next DM I got about this was a friend of mine that works for a large hotel chain. And she said, hey, this is amazing. You know, I want one. I said, no problem. I'll give you one. She said, well, you should also come in and talk to the hotel because these would be great to have in the hotel branded with the hotel's name so that our guests can ride them around the city. I said, genius. Right away, I wrote it down and said, okay, I have to co-brand these things and offer them to hotels and other establishments that can offer them to their guests or somehow offer it as an incentive. Now imagine a hotel's guest riding around the city in a scooter branded with the hotel's name on it. That's promotion for the hotel, free promotion. This also gave me the idea of collaboration and licensing. Imagine a Meals X Supreme model or a Meals X Kith model or how about a Maserati Meals or a Lamborghini Meals. Licensing is something that I haven't done in the past, but I could definitely figure it out. The collaboration is going to be tough. You obviously need to have a solid brand by the time somebody's willing to work with you. And that's something that we'll work on in the future. So now I have the name. I have the product that I like, and I also have a partner, which is kind of rare for me. I don't usually take on partners, but this is a guy that's been in the business of selling products, uh, manufacturing products, so he was a great fit for it. And what's my next step? Well, my next step is going on to Shopify, creating an account, 
and starting to build the website. So I have a template that I use often. Um, I think it's called Booster. It was very popular a while ago. Not so popular these days, but I already had it, so I figured I might as well throw it up. I started using some stock photography in the website just to build it out to give an idea so that later on I can customize it with actual product photography and descriptions and information and video. And at the same time, I also signed up to AliExpress.com through Shopify to add drop-shipped products. Now, why did I want to add drop-shipped products? Because that's how I test what additional products can I sell or upsell with this product, with the scooter itself. So I added a bunch of different things like bags and cell phone holders and camera holders and things like that. And once I see that a certain product is selling, I'll just go out and manufacture it myself, make sure that it's branded with the meal's name on it, and order a couple thousand units and be able to fulfill them from our fulfillment centers. While building out the website template, which again, it's, it doesn't take a developer to know how to do this. This is pretty simple. It's drag and drop stuff. Anybody can do it. If you can't do it yourself, you could hire somebody on Fiverr to build your Shopify website for a couple bucks. It's not a big deal. Um, I had to create a logo. Well, I have a little bit of graphic design ability, so I'm able to do a lot of this stuff myself. I went into Photoshop. I typed out the word meals in lowercase letters. Looked cool enough. Done. That was easy. Again, this is something that you could use Fiverr for. You could use Upwork for. One of my favorite tools for designing logos that are really intricate, really creative, I use a website called 99designs.com where you place a competition for a design, whether it's a logo, a website, a t-shirt, anything you want, really. And designers will submit their designs. You can give them feedback. I'd like you to change this, add that. And then once you choose a winner, they get awarded the prize, which is your fee for getting this done. Typically, it runs about 300 bucks, but the quality is amazing. And the fact that you have a bunch of different visions of your logo is great. So I have a logo. I have a website template done. My next step is my next step is actually getting the product. Now, when ordering from China, especially anything large, it takes time. I mean, you're shipping by ocean, which typically takes about 30 days door to door, if not more. And I started speaking to the manufacturer about packaging, about customization. I originally was going to order 250 units, which is a 20-foot container full. That was the most economical per unit. However, I got cold feet and I changed my order to 100 units. Um, I convinced the manufacturer to throw my brand on the scooter, which their minimum was 200 units. But after talking to them, I got them to, first of all, reduce the price a little bit. Then I got them to throw the brand on there. And uh, for a couple more bucks, I got them to custom print the exterior packaging for me. The pain when shipping from China is having to use a forwarder. A forwarder is a company that will take care of all the shipping details, such as which vessel the product is going on, customs, duties, forms, everything that needs to be done in order to bring it into the country and to your home, warehouse, office, whatever the case is. I had a forwarder that I used before, so I contacted them, said, here's the deal, here's the size of the the delivery, here's the weight, obviously here's the product, and they got back to me with a quote of $2,400 for the freight. Now, for the trucking, it's going to cost me at least another $1,500 to bring it from the Port of New York to my warehouse in Pennsylvania. I considered the time. Now, again, ocean freight takes approximately 30 days. I said, you know what? I want to have this quicker. I want to get it before the holidays 
maybe I can get them to ship it to Los Angeles port, which takes about a week. And then I'll have a truck bring it from Los Angeles to Philadelphia. I priced out that option and it was more expensive, obviously, because of the trucking cross country. But if I can find a distribution center in Los Angeles, such as ShipBob, for example, uh, Amazon FBA, anything that can take this product, store it, or fulfill for me, for me, that would be a win-win because I can get it to LA in about a week and I could fulfill directly from a third-party fulfillment center. So the current status is that I placed the order with the manufacturer and the manufacturer actually gave me a much better quote for Ocean Freight from China to Los Angeles. It was $826 compared to $2,400, which is huge. I'm still in the process of looking for a fulfillment center in Los Angeles just because my partner actually has a friend out there with a warehouse that would be able to take the product and then we could just ship it from there directly to Amazon. Once we have it in Amazon, we could fulfill orders that come in from Shopify, that come in from eBay, that come in from Amazon, that come in from anywhere. FBA or fulfillment by Amazon, which is what FBA stands for, will fulfill for us anywhere. So I placed a 50% deposit on the order, which turned out to be about $9,400. And the manufacturer actually sent me the template for the packaging. Now, again, you could use Fiverr, you could use Upwork to have somebody design this.